Hey there, I'm Jenna. I banged out a PhD in four years, landed my dream job in regenerative medicine, and shortly thereafter had to become my own best doctor to overcome SIBO, adrenal insufficiency, and crippling fatigue. And now I'm a functional nutrition coach that helps other type A go-getters achieve the life of their dreams without compromising their health. Welcome to the Fit to Thrive podcast. Go ahead and grab your espresso and let's dive in. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Fit to Thrive podcast. Today we are diving into everything PCOS. I'm going to go into the four types of PCOS, how you can identify what type you're experiencing on labs, and then how to go about actually reversing your PCOS. So to dive into the background, PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it is a syndrome that is kind of like a cluster diagnosis is what I like to call it, because there's a variety of symptoms. Like you'll see this laundry list of symptoms that you could or could not be experiencing. And the way that it gets diagnosed is usually that you're experiencing like a handful of these symptoms. But the hallmark of everything is that it's usually around either irregular or infrequent periods and generally surrounding your fertility and menstrual health. And so there is, I should note, there is a genetic component that can that can contribute to PCOS, but it's almost always set off or activated by things in your diet or lifestyle. And so some of the symptoms that you may be experiencing would be irregular periods, infrequent periods, uh, excess body hair, usually uh, on the face or maybe on the belly, but it could be in other areas as well. And then in contrast to that, you may see hairline thinning. So hair that's falling out or your hairline that's uh, receding, all of these things due to the excess androgens in your body. Um, You also might notice oily skin, acne, weight gain, which is a result usually of poor insulin sensitivity. And then as the name actually implies, you may have cysts on your ovaries. This is somewhat of a misnomer because you don't need to have cysts in order to have PCOS, but it is something that you may experience. Um, And so one of the The other underlying things that is going to take place here, and you may have noticed it from me listing off some of those symptoms, is that you're going to be experiencing hyperandrogenism, which what that means is that there's like five main androgens at play here. We usually think of these as like the quote unquote male sex hormones, right? So testosterone, whether that's total testosterone or free testosterone, um, androstenediol, diol, DHEA, androstenedione, um, or DHT. And so usually what you're going to see, and those are all either, you know, full-on hormones or metabolites or intermediates um, on the way of the pathway for hormones that um, that's taking place. And what you're going to notice here is that even though all of the types of PCOS have this underlying driving force, there are different things that are causing the raised androgens. And so that's what I want to get into now, because in order to reverse what you're experiencing, we need to understand what's actually causing the increase in androgens. And so the four types of PCOS that we're going to be able to see and recognize and talk about is going to be first, insulin-resistant PCOS. This is probably the most common. Um, making up to probably 70% of the cases. And this is going to be, as the name implies, from higher insulin or also usually higher blood glucose in addition to the higher androgens. Second is going to be post-birth control PCOS. 
And this happens because when you're on hormonal birth control, it basically shuts down the connection between your ovaries and your brain. And so then once you remove the birth control, you can see hormonal surges in some women's. And sometimes this is in testosterone, sometimes this is in other sex hormones as well. So usually with this, you don't see the insulin sensitivity issues that you would with insulin-resistant PCOS. Um, and it can take three to six months to kick in after the removal of the birth control. So usually what I like to ask clients in this case is like, hey, when did you go off of your birth control? Was it in the last year? Was it in the last nine months? Was it in the last six months? Because that really helps us to hone in on if it could be post-birth control PCOS. Uh, the third one is adrenal PCOS. And you can kind of think of this as like stress-induced hyperandrogenism. You often see this in elevated DHEA, um, you don't usually see insulin sensitivity issues. This is sometimes what people call like skinny PCOS or lean PCOS, but you will see either really, really high or really, really low cortisol. Um, and that cortisol imbalance over time has pushed the ovaries to overproduce androgens. And then the fourth kind is inflammatory PCOS. And so what you'll see here is that chronic internal inflammation has caused the ovaries to overproduce the androgens. So you usually do not see the insulin issue here, but you will see on labs um, with a CRP marker, you'll see that that's elevated. And so if you are experiencing PCOS, what do you do to identify what type you're experiencing? And I kind of alluded to this, but you're gonna wanna get some comprehensive labs. Um, so again, like I said, we're going to look for a variety of different androgens on these labs, including testosterone and others, but there's also specific things that you're going to notice for each type of PCOS that I just went through. So if we go through again, we say insulin resistant PCOS. Well, this one seems fairly straightforward. It's really common for the providers to look at fasted glucose and to look at A1C, but the most important reading, and I cannot stress this enough, is that we also need to get your fasted insulin. Because the way that this works is your insulin is basically the regulator for glucose. So the first thing that's going to go awry in that cascade is going to be your insulin. It's going to go up, it's going to go up, it's going to go up, and as it's going up, it's doing that in order to maintain your blood glucose level at that balanced amount. But as it goes up, at some point, it's going to get overrun and it's not going to be able to maintain your glucose. And that's when you're going to start to see an increase in blood glucose, an increase in your A1C. And so ideally, in order to sort of like stage this and see where we're at, we really, really, really need to see your, in your facet insulin result. Um, and we want to see this come in under 10, ideally under 8. With post-birth control PCOS, we're going to be looking for things that are a little bit different. Obviously, the history of the person is going to come into play here because we're going to want to see what type of birth control you were on, the extent that you were on it, and then when did you come off of it. Um, oftentimes, we'll see the clinically high testosterone or other androgen, but it's also pretty common here to see estrogen dominance um, or even just potentially relative estrogen dominance where the ratio between your estrogen and progesterone favors estrogen too much. Then if we're looking at adrenal PCOS, what we're going to notice is often we see that the androgen that's elevated here is DHEAS. Um, there's like the two different forms. So if you DHEAS uh, versus just plain DHEA, the way that we can think of this is that DHEA 
S is going to be the most prevalent form in our body. It's a really good marker for prolonged stress, whereas DHEA may be a better marker for more of like an acute stress. And so if you're really dealing with adrenal PCOS, you're going to be looking more so at those things that are prolonged stressors. Um, and like I said before, you're not usually going to see a high insulin marker with this. You're going to be seeing more of the results in those adrenal markers. And then lastly, with inflammatory PCOS, you're going to want to look for inflammatory markers. So one of the really great ones to get is CRP, which is C-reactive protein. And if you're seeing this come in at three or over, that is a telltale sign that you have some systemic inflammatory effects within the body. Um, one of the other things here is often these clients will also be experiencing some gut issues. Um, and if you think about it, like your gut impacts your inflammation and your inflammation impacts your gut. It's this feedback loop that takes place. And so often you'll, you'll notice things like leaky gut. Um, maybe they have some food intolerances. Maybe they've got a little bit of trouble with gluten, but they don't have celiac disease. Um, those types of things you might notice as well if you're dealing with inflammatory PCOS. So, so now you've gone, you've got your labs, you're like, check, check, check. I see all the signs here. So what do you do next? Okay. I'm going to share my framework here. Um, and I call it a framework because there are a lot of similarities for what you're generally going to do. Right. Um, but as I'm sure that you're picking up, there's a lot of nuances, right? And if you have inflammatory PCOS, you're going to want to do something a little bit different than if you have post-birth control PCOS, because we want to really get to the root of what's driving your symptoms. Um, so just to kind of like go through the general framework, it's going to be like four different steps. The first step, I want to support your liver. I want to support phase one and phase two detoxification. Phase one is like your oxidation pathway. So basically, if you've got toxins that are kind of stored within your body, maybe stored within the tissues, stored within different places, the way that we're going to be removing that from the body is first you need to solubilize it, which basically means you need to make it soluble in water. Um, and the reason that that's important is because then we're going to go into phase two, which is the conjugation pathway. This means that another molecule is going to be attached onto the toxin, reducing the amount of harm that it can cause. So there's like six different types of conjugations that can take place. Basically, what you need to know here is that we want to take that toxin out of your tissue, we want to solubilize it in water, we want to make it less dangerous, and then we want you to pee it out. <laughs> that's, that's what we want to do. And the effect of this is that your inflammation is going to be immediately reduced. And this is really important because even if you don't have inflammatory-driven PCOS, the fact that you have PCOS going on in your body is going to be very inflammatory in nature. And so by the first step being reducing that inflammation, we are putting your body and you're putting yourself, pretty much setting yourself up for success here. Um, the other thing that's going to be really beneficial from this is that it's going to increase your estrogen metabolism. And when this is improved, it also helps your androgens to aromatize into estrogen and then further metabolize out of the body because that's the pathway that the androgens are going to be taking. So like if you've ever... I guess I could explain. I always like this example. I feel like it is like easy. If you ever talk about to like the, the big bodybuilder guys who maybe push a little bit too much testosterone and then all of a sudden they start to kind of get like, you know, man boobs and stuff like that is because testosterone can aromatize into estrogen. And then if you have too much testosterone, sometimes it, it goes in like that. But that's the pathway that we wanted to take. <laughs> if we are detoxing your androgens, it's going to aromatize into estrogen and then leave your body. So, okay. 
that's that's the first one. Then the second step here is going to be resting. One major way to lower inflammation, um, which again, PCOS is extremely inflammatory in nature, is going to be to rest and also de-stress. And so the important parts here, I'm not telling you that you need to go to live on a yoga retreat and do cold plunge every single day, followed by sauna every single day, followed by an hour of journaling and meditation. That's, that's not what I'm saying, right? But we do need to take control of what you can control, right? Control the controllables in your life and pull back on things that are adding stress to your life. So this is where it becomes a holistic approach, right? We're not just saying, okay, eat this, work out this way, do this. We're saying you need to take care of yourself as a whole human and and really find what are the things in your life that are stressful, that are unnecessary, and how can we remove those? And it's a little bit uncomfortable at times, right? Um, But this is where sometimes having a coach in your corner and having someone to help walk you through this and put you through these steps, step by step, can be really, really helpful. Um, Because we want to really rest and de-stress in order to get everything managed. Then from a more, you know, that that's kind of a a less tangible thing, right? Because that's going to be different for every single person. The things that are going to be consistent across people is I'm going to pull back a little bit on your training. Um, so rather than going to the gym and doing a hit workout every single time, really, really cranking it through, I'm going to pull you back. I'm going to give you some lo- lower intensity. Maybe we're working at like a 60 to 80% of, you know, what you could normally do as a total output. We're going to pull back your cardio, not really doing much hit. We're going to do a little bit more walking and really get your body in this state where it can heal. Then you knew I was going to talk about it. We're going to get some good sleep (laughs) and make sure that you are getting not only enough, but high quality sleep. Um, And so there's a lot of little things that you can work on to rest and de-stress. And that's kind of just like, I mean, those are things that apply to everyone, but I'm sure you can think of 10 things in your own life where if you made this little swap, it would really reduce the stress for you as well. So that was number two. Number three, the big step here, feed and fuel your healing. So this is all about your nutrition um, and how we go about supporting your healing through food. But there is a reason this is third. Um, Because if you are not first supporting your detoxification, getting those pathways going, and you're also not resting and changing the things in your lifestyle in order to support that, you could put as much emphasis on your diet, eating clean, whatever you want to call it, as you want, and you're really not going to get the results that you're looking for. You're really not going to get the symptom reduction that you're hoping to get. Um, And so those first two are really more foundational, and then here's where we really start to put everything together. Um, So I do like to use a Mediterranean-style diet here. Um, Unless you do have some gut issues, there's no need to go low FODMAP, but if you have some gut issues, we might have to do some low FODMAP for a while. Uh, To really reduce inflammation, I like to eliminate dairy, gluten, alcohol for some time, (laughs) Um, and and keep your, you know, uh, sugars to more natural sugars, like stevia, monk fruit, um, that type of thing. Uh, if you are dealing with insulin sensitivity, 
Um, then we do want to keep mindful of the carbs. I don't ever want to eliminate them, but we don't want to push them necessarily either. Um, and this is all going to sort of depend again on what type of PCOS is we've, that we're working with here. But one reason to really keep carbs in like a more moderate amount is because this also gives us a great opportunity to add in some more fats into your diet, specifically anti-inflammatory fats. So I do like to put these at like 35, maybe 40% of your caloric intake. Um, some great examples would be like extra virgin olive oil, macadamia nut oil, fish oil is great, MCT oil, coconut oil, um, and really, really continue to push that anti-inflammatory effect that we're getting from all the things that we mentioned above. And so the fourth piece here, is, I, I just kind of call it functional support. Um, and this is, again, where there starts to be more divergence in the framework to specifically support you and your symptoms and exactly what you're experiencing. And so I, I, this is, you know, also where we put in some supplements, right? And I, I'm someone who I'm very mindful. I do not want my people taking more supplements than they need. Basically, nothing more than you need and nothing that you, that you don't need, right? Um, and so I'm not going to go into, like, the really specific supplements here because that is so specific to the person, but I'm going to just tell you like generally what we like to look for. So if you're dealing with insulin resistant PCOS, that means you have a high facet insulin. It's coupled with androgens. So we're going to want to support that insulin sensitivity. We're going to want to provide supplements that are going to reduce your excess androgens. And then usually I like to provide some type of anti-inflammatory effect, especially for your ovaries. Um, if we know you've had some cyst formation in there. If you are dealing with post-birth control, that means we're, the main thing we're looking at is high androgenism and all the other side effects that have come from being on birth control. So I like to replace your B vitamins here, um, vitamin C, magnesium, zinc. Uh, there's a few different ways that we can go about this um, to make sure that you're getting all of those vitamins and nutrients that have probably been depleted from being on birth control to make sure all of the hormone pathways are also going to be supported from having those. Then we're also going to continue to reduce your androgens and support anti-inflammatory process um, in your ovaries. If you're dealing with adrenal PCOS, I want you to think stress, right? How can we support your body and its ability to manage stress? So the first thing is going to be to support your adrenals. And again, this is going to depend on do you have high cortisol? Do you have low cortisol? Is it somewhere in the middle? Is your map flipped and you've got low in the morning, high in the evening, this is really, really dependent. So like we want to use the right tool to address the right problem there. But we also want to give your body a little bit better ability to manage stress. So I do like ashwagandha for this. It's a great aptogenic herb, ap, aptogenic herb, oh my God. <laughs> it's great. It's great. <laughs> Much better than how I can talk today. Um, To help your body just manage stress a little bit more effectively. Again, a supplement probably to help with androgen redu reduction and then maybe add on some anti-inflammatory. If you are dealing with inflammatory driven PCOS, we're going to hit we're going to hit this with a little bit heavier duty inflammation support, making sure we've got the most bioavailable forms in addition to the androgen reduction and making sure that we're supporting your ovaries. So those that's sort of like the functional support for the four different types. You can see how it's relatively similar. In all the cases, we want to reduce the androgens, but there's also special considerations for each one. 
And I feel like if you've gathered anything from this podcast so so far, that there is an abundance of nuance. There's an abundance of specialization and personalization that should occur for each individual. Um, And so I have a couple of other just like random thoughts as I was putting together an outline for this that I was like, oh, okay, I don't know exactly where this fits in, but I should I should mention it, right? <laughs> so when we are talking about PCOS, we're often talking about androgens. It's like androgen, 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 everything, right? Um, but that might not be the only hormone that's out of balance. So one of the hallmark things that you'll pick up on labs, so like in a normal um, ratio, your LH to FSH ratio is going to be between like one and two. Um, so LH being your luteinizing hormone, FSH being your follicle stimulating hormone. So both of these play a very important role in your ovulation. In PCOS, we normally see that that ratio gets reversed. And so you often have like two to three times the amount of LH in comparison to FSH. And so this is really contributing to anovulatory cycles and irregular cycles, Um, And so that's one of the things that we can also look out for on your labs. That's an indicator that's not just like, okay, you have high androgens. Uh, Another thing with sex hormones that we often see is that you're frequently relatively estrogen dominant. And I say relative because it's not necessarily that your estrogen is super high. It's usually that your progesterone is really, really low. And so again, this contributes to your, your progesterone is supposed to rise after you ovulate. That's what, when you see the temperature increase after ovulation, it's because you have a higher progesterone and progesterone causes your body temperature to elevate. Um, and so if you're not seeing that curve go up, it's a good indicator that your body is not producing enough progesterone. And so that in general, if we can get your progesterone supported and have that ratio balance out a little bit more, it's going to help support regular cycles. It's going to help support um, less PMS, um, a lot less anxiety before your cycles. Those types of things are really linked to progesterone. Um, Okay, next random thing. And I mentioned it a little bit in here, but I wanted to touch on it a little bit more. Is there a gut component? So you guys know I'm, I'm also a gut health coach. I work a lot with people trying to get their guts right, right? And so is there a gut component to PCOS? Not Not always, Um, but there certainly can be. And I see this the most if we're dealing with adrenal PCOS or post-birth control PCOS. Um, Adrenal, because usually that you've been under this chronic stress for a long time, and one of the most impacted parts of your body when you have this chronic stress is your gut. And so you have this stress, it's causing stress in your gut, your gut is then kind of like reverberating that back to you and almost increasing your stress, right? Um, And so sometimes we can see some gut issues that have developed from there. Also with birth control, if you've been on birth control for an extended period of time, a couple of years, um, it can change the pH balance in your GI tract, which can alter the ratio of bacteria. Um, And so oftentimes you can notice with someone who's coming off of birth control that you might have some gut dysbiosis, you might have uh, a a bad balance of bacteria. And so that's something that we may need to address as well. And then the other thing is with inflammation-driven PCOS, I do often see like leaky gut symptoms. Um, So maybe you've got like a gluten intolerance, but you don't have celiac, right? 
um, or you've got other food intolerances, or you're getting headaches after you're eating, feeling really tired after you're eating, that's often associated with leaky gut. And you can think of it almost the same way as I started this off. Like, if you've got a lot of inflammation in your body, it's going to negatively impact your gut. And if you've got a lot of in inflammation in your gut, it's going to like negatively impact the rest of your body. Um, and so is there a gut component to PCOS? Not necessarily, but it's it's something that we definitely want to look for as well, because if you're not addressing the gut, it is going to kind of come back to bite you in the ass on, on the on the other end of things, because your gut is such a master regulator for so many other things. And so this is where we want to make sure we're looking at you as a whole person um, and not just saying, oh, OK, you've got PCOS. We're going to attack this PCOS head on. We want to make sure we're actually addressing you as a whole human as well. And so then the third random thing that I wanted to talk about is you you can reverse your symptoms um, completely, pretty much, and come off of your supplements. Usually within 10 to 12 weeks, someone that I've been working with can reverse your symptoms. We can retest, make sure that everything looks how we expect it to based off of what you're experiencing symptom-wise and like how you're actually feeling. And then at that point, we'll wean you off any supplements and you can maintain that PCOS symptom-free experience through lifestyle. Um, the one caveat or the one thing that I, if I'm going to see something that persists, it might be insulin insensitivity. If that was something that you dealt with originally, that can kind of be a pesky thing that can come back. But that can, again, be managed with nutrition, with lifestyle, and there's like some pretty good supplements that can help with that, that you just, you don't have to take like a whole handful of things every day. It's maybe just one thing. Um, and so those are the three like random tidbits I wanted to hit also. And we covered a ton of content in this episode. Um, as always, my DMs are open for you to ask any follow-up questions. If you've been dealing with PCOS, please please reach out to me for some support on getting you labs and interpreting those labs. That's a service that I not only offer to my clients, but I do it on a consult basis as well. Um, so I want to make sure that you are supported in every way possible. So, all right. Till next time, guys. Thanks for listening to the Fit to Thrive podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So please leave me a review. And if you loved the episode, snap a screenshot and take me on Instagram. Catch you next time.